Hey, welcome to Taj Talam. Uh, this is the second part of our episode on Andrew Yang, Universal Basic Income, and the Robot Apocalypse. I could understand people's skepticism for uh, UBI uh, right now, you know, because, you know, by and large, you know, what, unemployment's at record lows, you know. Which is a lie, by the way. True, which actually is a, a deceitful. Statistic. I don't want to say it's a lie. It's It's measuring the wrong thing. Yeah, because, you know, at least from my understanding, I mean, Jack, you have more of a background in economics, so please correct me, but it's um, people who uh, maybe have dropped out of the workforce, uh, they're no longer counted, uh, and so that's why the statistic isn't necessarily the most accurate. Plus two, it's like the type of jobs they're working, you know, it's a lot more, like I said, like the gig economy, they don't get a lot of benefits, um, and so is, is, that, is, that, is that correct? Yeah. So what you want to look at is the labor participation rate. So um, unemployment rate counts only people who are looking for a job after they lose a job and they only count those people if they're still looking for six months. And mm. how long do you get unemployment for? Six, six months? months. Got it. So once you're out of that, they don't count you anymore so they assume that you're not looking for a job they assume that you're going to go to school and once you go to school you're not counted in got it but sometimes you know like in 2008 when all the you know the great recession happened a lot of people went to school because they had no choice no that's fair you know they it's like oh i don't have a job so i might as well go to school and get retrained or do something different no that's true mm -hmm. um not that they don't want to work um and then the labor participation rate is it measures how much of working adults, hmm. uh, working age, uh, uh, adults aged between 18 and 64 or something like that are actually in the labor force right now. And the current number is like 62%. Oh, wow. And that, that number is even lower for men. Hmm. Now, you know, for whatever reason, men are impacted more by uh, this coming like robot apocalypse. Um, just because I think as men, so much of our sense of like worth is tied to like the money we earn and things like that. And so I think, you know, there's weird statistics where like once people lose their jobs, they actually volunteer less, you know, even though they have more time and energy to. It's like, you know, I, you know, because it's my belief that you can't give out of an empty well. And so this act of volunteering, it's like, man, I, I'm so full of love, you know, I just want to spread it around, you know. But I think, you know, when you fall in on hard times you know, what do you turn to? You know, you look at the stats of like what the, I think 80% of the manufacturing jobs lost in the last 15 years um, were, caught, were due to automation. And like half of those people uh, never uh, went back to work. And uh, of that half, uh, half are on like a disability. Uh, and, you know, obviously some of them are legitimately on disability, but a lot of them, it's, it's, it's just kind of fraud because it's just, but it's because it's the only option they have. Right. And, it's a necessity. Oh, yeah. And you don't, feel, and I'm sure they don't, a lot of them don't feel great about doing that, you know? So it's something where, um, that's also why I like how UBI, it goes to everyone. So there's no stigma, you know, to, you know, receiving kind of this money from the government because everyone gets it. So it's not like, ooh, you know, like you're on disability or, oh, you're on welfare. Like you're, you know, you're a bad person if you take that, you know, strict dad philosophy. Uh, but if everyone gets it, it's like, hey, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't just like how, you know, we all work. And then I don't judge how other people spend their money. You know, if you if you want to 
use that money to <laughs> donate to your local local meditation center. You know, like, hey, great for you. You know, but if you want to use it to get a new iPhone, hey, also great for you. You know, like, it's not my business. It's your money. Um, you know, so we were talking about, because we were talking about the iPhone, we are talking about the alienation portion of it. Um, it. You know, what? one of the things I just thought of, you know, um, imagine Andrew Yang becoming president in 2021. Okay. Imagine he implements, you know, UBI. Okay. Guess what? What's up? No matter who you talk to, you can always ask one question. What are you doing with that thousand bucks? Now, what's a, what, what brings together people more than a common shared experience? No, that's true. That's very true. You know, he also has this interesting idea of like, uh, I think I believe it's like high school students or something that uh, they'll there's kind of like public's works project, almost like some kind of domestic peace corps where uh, they get to kind of, you know, visit uh, different, you know, regions in the country. And it's kind of like the military. It's where it's like, you know, you're, you're a combination of people from all over the country. You have this shared common experience. And from it, oh, you know, yes, oh, yeah. right. you can see, oh, this is what it's like, you know, to be in Kentucky, whatever. And to your friend who says, oh, you know, get, the, get rid of the middle of the country, whatever. Like she may not have that opinion when she meets people from it. Well, know? here's the thing. I, I should have asked her this, but she has a lot of friends in Dallas. I see. I should have said, you think we should get rid of Dallas? Oh, there you go. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing to make it more like tangible. You know, I, I feel like there is this temptation to kind of use labels as just kind of like the shortcut. Which is fine, you know, like that's just the way we kind of mediate uh, reality, you know, through these kind of conventions and expectations. But uh, this kind of shortcut is really hurting us when we're trying to, you know, get closer to the truth. Because you're right, when you think of like a real human being that you met from that part of the country, it's a lot harder to use these kind of like blanket statements. And so, you know, I do think that you're right with universal basic income and with this other policy idea that Yang has, he can kind of help bridge that gap. I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. Um, did you want to add anything more to that? No, you know, I'm kind of interested to kind of address some of the criticism of UBI. Because, you know, we're saying like, oh, man, look how great of an idea it is. But I'm sure some of you listening, Wendy, <laughs> is probably thinking like, okay, so how are you going to pay for this? That's correct. So, um, uh, you know, uh, that's everybody's question. How are you going to pay for this? And uh, there's a couple of ways. Uh, the first thing is the VAT tax. Uh, what's a VAT tax? So it's called the value added tax. So think about it as it, like a sales tax. Okay. But it's sales tax that companies pay. Got it. So if you currently think about our system right now, sales tax is paid by the person, the end user, the person who buys the product. So that's why sometimes when you go to Costco, uh, if anybody goes, sometimes they ask if you have a reseller's permit. Uh, don't pay that sales tax. You don't pay that sales tax because you're a reseller. So you don't have to pay it because you just bought it and your intention t is to sell it to somebody else. And so that tax says, nope. If you are in the supply chain, when you buy, let's say you, uh, you know, you know, most skin, when they buy that paper and they buy it for $10 for a pound, they got to pay 10%. So they got to pay $11. And that $1 goes to the VAT tax. And then, then when they take that and they sell it to somebody, sell it in the store for $20 and somebody buys it for $20, they pay 
$2, but then $1 is paid by the first person and then the last, the, the per, the, so, so the difference between the 10 to the 20 is only 10, so the consumer only pays the one. Mm-hmm. Now the argument of from, about that is, no, do we wanna get into the argument or we just yeah, wanna talk about the, how to, so the argument is, uh, so, so doesn't that mean that no matter what, even if the companies are paying for it, that cost is just going to flow down to the end user anyways. That's true. I mean, that's how it's working in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's just re- a matter of who's writing out the check first, right? Yeah, I mean, but to that to that criticism, it's something where, you know, think about it, to your point, Angie Yang's idea is a 10% VAT tax, which is half of what Europe charges. So, you know, in every developed country and economy in this world uses a VAT tax. And so... Um, you have to spend more than $120,000 a year, not earn, spend over $120,000 a year for that to offset the $12,000 a year you're getting from UBI. Ah, so you're basically saying that if as long as I don't spend $120,000, even if let's just say I spent $100,000 of stuff and I pay 10% VAT tax, I would only spend $10,000 in VAT tax. But with the with the UBI, I'm still getting twelve thousand dollars, so I'm still up two thousand. Oh yeah, yeah, no, true. So you know, only like rich people like Jack would <laughs> <laughs> with my iPhone. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, so who the hell spends more than one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year? If that is that who we're crying for? You know, like you know what? You know, I got dry eyes for you, buddy. Yeah, and then they they said you know put that tax on, and 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 I think they they also take they don't. It's not a blanket VAT tax. Mm. It's not a VAT tax on everything. That's true. Right. So one thing is he, you know, first he makes sure that it, again, again, I think with every everybody, everybody who's running, you always have to discount it. Like, okay, this is what he's proposing and what, so let's see what really happens. So, but what he's proposing is, hey, we're not going to, we're not going to do VAT tax on essential items that people need. Um, but uh, keep in mind that, this is mainly just to combat this whole automation thing. So the most of the VAT tax is going to be placed on these self-driving trucks, self-driving cars, uh, self-checkouts, you know, uh, uh, automated automation, uh, you know, ish things. You know, that's the where the VAT tax that they that's where their value added is. And then their value added, we take a tax out of that value added from this new technology. Uh, I think that's a great idea because, you know, the moment they're, you know, saving all that money by not hiring human beings, uh, rather than it just lining Jeff Bezos' pocket, you know, hey, give, give it to the American people a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. they're still making more money, you know, but it, at least now, like, we're all benefiting. From so it. I think uh, the number that he gives is self-driving trucks is going to save on average 168 billion dollars to that industry and if there's no that tax who gets that 168 billion whoever automated those trucks and so if we put a 10 percent vat tax that's 16.8 billion that's a lot of money <laughs> and and, and the, the people who come who created that self-driving cars uh self-driving cars, they're still walking away with 150 billion is there it's you know, it's a, yeah, boo-hoo, win-win. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a win-win, you know? And then, you know, and everything's being automated. I mean, even say like Google with their algorithms. So every Google search will have a little bit of tax, you know, associated with it. Or not essentially Google searches, but the ad clicks on like Google's ads. Um, 
It'll be like even Amazon because they're using all those you know robots in the warehouses and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, you know the delivery oh, the drones, drones too. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's something where you know, yeah, these companies already have like more money than many sovereign nations. So you know, boohoo. You know, like I, I give it back to us. You know, and I've, if anything, it's going to be good for the company because then we as consumers will have money. So even though I'm laid off on my work, I could still be like you know ordering whatever from Amazon uh, that I need with, uh, with the UBI money. And and at the same time, if you think about it, like, oh wait, so if I spend more money on Amazon, I get more UBI back. <laughs> it actually go. supports the system. No, it does. You know, and and so it's something where it's like buy American actually kind of means something at that mm-hmm. point. You know, and so well, know. but but what about this? I think um, I was listening to the Breakfast Club interview with Andrew Yang, and I think Charlemagne hits the point. What's let's just point? let's just outlaw robots. Well, you know, I think all respect to Charlemagne. Uh, I think that's a very kind of uh, myopic perspective. Um, I mean, I think a good analogy is thinking about climate change. You know, hey, nobody wants, you know, the earth overheat. So we're all in this together. It's the only planet we got. And yet, you know, it's it, it's it's freaking like difficult to enforce, you know, any kind of re- meaningful regulation. Um, and so I think similarly, you know, we're, we're in a global village here, you know. So, yeah, United States, we could ban like self-driving trucks or whatever. Uh, but then, you know, is China going to do it? Is Europe going to do it? If they don't, you know, we're going to get pwned. You know, the thing about AI is that uh, there's a huge first mover advantage, you know, because the reason the reasoning is whoever develops the AI that's as intelligent as a human or a little more, at that point, they've already won because then that computer will then become self-aware and then begin to improve itself, you know? And at that point, hey, whoever got to that level first, they, they've won the game. They have. They have. Oh, yeah. And, and it's something where it's like AI, like, you know, even now, like, we don't quite understand the full ramifications of AI. Because, you know, asking that question, what industries are going to be disrupted by AI? That's like asking the question, like, in the 1800s, what industries are going to be interrupted by electricity? You know, mm. like, it, it, it can literally be applied to almost, like, everything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we can't even conceive uh, of the world we're going to live in. Uh, once AI is possible. No, I mean, even with the internet, something even as recent, like at first you just thought internet was for porn. <laughs> but now, I mean, hey, podcasts are now. Like, hey, there you go. Who thought about 10, eight years ago? I, I mean, even, maybe even sh- shorter than that. Like who thought podcasting were, was going to be a job? was going to be a career. No, that's fair. I mean, even the, the our host at this space, he was saying that Joe Rogan is pulling it, estimated to pull in like a hundred million dollars this year through ad revenue, you know, alone through sponsors. And so it's something where you know we are we've already witnessed, you know, like the creation and destruction uh, of many industries. And so how much more so when this uh, next wave comes? And mm-hmm. so that's something where you know, as much as you know, I, I can kind of sympathize with that sentiment that Charlemagne had of like. Hey, you know, it's as simple as just kind of stopping it, like <laughs> like Terminator Two, like just killing, you know, the T one thousand or whatever. You know, it, it's just it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, like you know, drugs are bad, so let's uh, outlaw drugs. Yeah, you know, the the genie's out of the bottle. Yeah, you know, um, and, and I'm not saying I'm not comparing technology and drugs. I'm te- comparing uh, the effects of outlawing anything. It True. just you just is it just doesn't work. We can't control, we just don't have that much control. I mean, it may feel good to say that, oh, yeah, that's illegal, but it's, you, you just can't stop it. 
You can't. And so, you know, because China, you know, I mean, you, we even see it right now with like the whole ban on like what cloning humans or whatever, or like messing with the human genome. Apparently, we all agree we weren't going to do it. Then all of a sudden, you know, China, they're like splicing these kids DNA, you know, to try to make them more resistant to AIDS. And uh, they weren't supposed to do it. But guess what? They did it, you know. And now when these people begin breeding with the rest of the population, who knows what effects those changes are going to have. And as that begins to kind of, you know, pour across uh, whole populations, man, you know, guess what? You know, I'm what? I marry some Chinese chick <laughs> and then she has, you know, like some fucked up genes, you know, and then my kid's some weird mutant, you know, like, I mean, we don't even know the ripple effect of all this stuff. And so that's where, you know, it's a noble intention to try to think that we can work together. But, you know, history has shown time and time again, like, is this not going to happen? So, you know, we have to recognize reality for what it is. And, you know, because I'm an American, I want to see us kick ass in the AI field. I want us to be the first to design that kind of human intelligent or better AI. Uh, and then, you know, so see where it goes. And I, I, like, I like what you're saying. Like, I, I, I've always considered, like, myself Taiwanese, mm. Taiwanese-American. Okay. But I feel like, you know, you're right. You know, I, I, uh, as I get older and older, I go, no, I'm actually an American. Um, I'm American Taiwanese, really. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, like we, you know, in America, we have all these identities and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just, that that's always been on my mind for a while. Like, hey, you know, like we need to, we need to identify ourselves as American first because this is where we live. Um, and I, I feel like UBI kind of does that too. Uh, and it, it sounds like we're like everything is a UBI <laughs> is going to solve every problem. It's not. It really isn't. But I think it it pushes us to like to that next level. Like, oh, it just pushes us to that next, you know, edges us closer together. Like because we have that shared experience. And, you know, that's something that we would, you know, we directly benefit from this system because we are from this country. No, that's true. I mean, because that takes all like the empty kind of political rhetoric and it makes it like meaningful and substantial, you know, because, you know, yeah, you know, like I think everyone's standing for the flag if, you know, like uh, that flag has helped give me a thousand bucks a month. I mean, because otherwise it's like, what the fuck did America doing for us? You know, I mean, like, I mean, I'm not saying that America's done a lot for me and my family, so I don't want to like shit on America, but it's something where, but imagine like for those less fortunate if your interaction with the state is a police officer, you know, doing violence on your body uh, unjustly, if your interaction with the state is like unjust, you know, criminal laws, or it's like unjust, you know, like, uh, or a lack of opportunities, you know, it's perpetuating this kind of, you know, systemic racism, you know, I can definitely see that, yeah, you know, I don't have a lot to be really proud of, you know, this country in their laws used to consider me property. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, why am I, why should I be proud of this country? You yeah, know, like, yeah. and, and so it's something where at least with UBI, I mean, yes, on a cynical note, it's a thousand bucks a month. You know, you don't buy the hand that feeds you. But on another note, it's like, hey, it, you know, we all as people, you know, if this goes through, we voted to make this happen. You know, we all had kind of compassion for one another, you know, because that's one thing that struck me. Like we went to an Andrew Yang fundraiser. Oof. And what really struck me was like, Man, like the people we talked to, at least they weren't like, oh, I want that thousand bucks for me and I could get this Nintendo Switch. It's just more so, no, you know what? I'm doing fine, but, you know, I want the opportunities that I've been able to take advantage of. I want other people to have those opportunities. And so it's a spirit of kind of altruism. 
And so that's where, like, man, when I saw Andrew Yang walk in, dude, the crowd just, like, freaking erupted. I even heard someone yell, like, is this a kegger? (laughs) (laughs) Do a keg stand. (laughs) And it was because, like, just the enthusiasm, you know, that, that comes with, like, people coming together for a good cause to try to benefit, like, everyone. And so it's something where, you know, and yeah, I mean, we met that guy who said he was making $400,000 a year, you know, like, and I mean, he loves this country. He said it wouldn't be possible until he was in this country. But now I think, and I asked him, I was like, you don't seem like a guy who would want UBI. Like you pulled yourself out. You were homeless. You made something out of yourself and you were able to create a business and make that much money, why would you want UBI? And he says, you know, it's the only country. This is something that would help people get out of that situation even better. And he has more compassion for those people. It's like, uh, I know people like, uh, you know, Chinese people, we hate tipping. (laughs) But if you've worked in the restaurant industry, you end up tipping more. That's fair. You know what it's like to be on the other side, you know? And and I think that's where... um, yeah, I, I think that guy, that gentleman we spoke to, like he knew what it was like uh, to be on like kind of the the, the wrong side of that stick. And, and so uh, he really benefited from the opportunities uh, that this country afforded him. But he also understands the facts on the ground that like, you know, these opportunities uh, are scarce and they're only going to become scarcer, you know, because right now with, you know, I mean, given the asterisk, like historically low unemployment statistics, imagine once 80% of jobs are gone, you know, how many of those opportunities are really going to be left? And so, you know, what, what makes me sad, though, is that just, I mean, w- whether it be this country or just human beings in general, we're bad about, like, long-term threat assessment, you know, because biologically we're good at, like, short-term. So, like, hey, man, that's a bear. Whoa, fuck, you know? Like, well, we're good at that. Our instincts over the many millennia, you know, have been, have, you know, kind of brought us here. But long-term, like, we're, we're shitty at that. And so... That's actually my biggest concern where I think, you know, we're speaking about this coming robot apocalypse, but it's like, I, I don't know if the American public uh, can appreciate this, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of issues that are like a lot more like kind of urgent to some people, like whether it be criminal justice reform, mm-hmm. yep, yep. you know, whether it be, you know, like, um, you know, social justice issues and things like that. You know, I'm not saying those issues aren't important, but I think like, Hey, you know, the moment like 80% of people are out of work, you know, those issues are out of, uh, I don't care about the justice system. I just want to feed my kids. No, very true. Yeah. We're going to have much different justice systems. Oh, issues, ooh, you know? ooh, ooh, ooh. Judge mean, dread. Oh, no, no. I mean, in reality, I mean, society itself, it's an existential threat to society itself. And I think it comes down to a lot of in- income inequality. Uh, how so? Uh, well, I mean, we talked about how, uh, you know, Andrew Yang wants to focus on measuring the economy a different way about not looking at GDP. Correct. And uh, again, these numbers I'm throwing out, I, I, it, it's, you know, take it for the concept rather than the actual number. But I think uh, in the last, it, while Trump was in, 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 uh, in office, we've added $7 trillion to the stock market. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, $7, $7 trillion? Trillion? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the last... The last, this year, was it this year? We saw two companies, uh, three companies break a trillion dollar in market cap. That's Apple, um, Amazon, and Microsoft. No, that's you know, true. and like, whoa, like, whoa, now we've have, we have three trillion dollar companies. Like, I can't even fathom that number, trillion. 
I mean, we hear in the news, but really, if you really think about it, that's a huge fucking number. That's a thousand billions. Exactly. I mean, think about a thousand. I mean, that's a that's a hundred thousand millions. All right. Now, how many people? Let me just ask you. And how many people you know benefited from that seven trillion dollars in stock market? Well, you know, I mean, I, I do own some stocks. Well, I mean, I, but it, it, but it's not, but definitely nowhere close to you know any like a point zero 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 one percent. And then think about how many people who don't fucking see that. No, that's fair. I mean, because they're just so busy working their, you know, durable job and paying the bills. No, that's true, and, and and I think that's why, like, I push back against the whole like strict dad kind of philosophy because it's like you know some motherfucker who believes in that philosophy would be like, well, then those people should educate themselves and invest in stocks, and it's like, well, easy for you to say, bro, you know, like it, it's hard to like already when you're just working full time, you're trying to manage your social life, you know, you're trying to eat right, exercise, whatever, um, but then if you don't have you know, access, because who are you going to trust to learn this stuff? You know, some random dude on YouTube, you know, like. And a lot of times you you hear like, okay, so, okay, I have a, I have some money now. I want to put my money in. And you put your money in and right away the stock market tanks or some shit like that. That's true. Yeah, because it's one of those things where, yeah, it's like, unfortunately, it's uh, smart money gets out first, you know. So it's just something where, you know, yeah, you're left holding the bag most of the time if, right. if you're a small investor. We need to secure the bag. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> No, I um, I'm laughing because I I love I love the meme culture that's surrounding oh, yes. uh, Andrew Yang. Uh, I think it was what I think it was like WikiLeaks. They had this funny quote. Where they said something like, um, uh, "Andrew Yang has won like the." Oh, hold on, let me let me, let me read it. Um, did you say WikiLeaks? Uh, oh yeah, WikiLeaks. Uh, said uh, re, uh said uh, did Trump just lose the 2020 meme war? Ah, <laughs> just because of all the Yang Gang memes. Um, mm -hmm. and you know. You know, while we're on that topic, you know, what's kind of interesting is like, you know, one thing we saw, you know, during, um, you know, that fundraiser was Andrew Yang talking about uh, how the mainstream media is covering him. Um, you know, he brought up this interesting, you know, observation where, you know, he had this interview with CNBC and, you know, he watched the interview afterward and they only took out one part. And the part they took out was when he mentioned uh, Joe Biden is part of the old guard. And so it's something where it's like, hey, you know, like there's there's nothing. And you that's know. a nice way to put it. But yeah. So mainstream media, you know, they have their fucking like clear agenda. I mean, go, don't get me wrong. Everyone has an agenda. But, you know, what I don't like about it is they're dishonest about it. You know, they try be with their authority. You know, they try to pretend like they're very objective, that they're a news organization. You know, they have reporting standards, whatever, whatever. And uh, obviously they don't, you know, and you can see even in the means of production, you know, like uh, they don't compare that to someone like Joe Rogan, who live streams his podcast or know, Dave unedited. Rubin. Oh, yeah. oh, does Dave Rubin live stream? I, I he live streamed that um, that uh, conversation with Andrew Yang, mm. or, or or even like Dave uh, uh, Ben Shapiro. They do the long form. There's no editing. Oh yeah, you know, and I think that's something where you know there's no hiding then, so you know what people are saying. And I think uh, if you if you track like uh, Joe Ro Joe Rogan and, and these other um, you know podcasters' success, I think a lot of it is a desire to have authentic communication, you know, authentic conversations, you know, because like look, you know, people aren't stupid. They know like they they may not know the exact lie, but they know when something's a little inauthentic. And I think that's probably one reason why most people are not kind of trying to tune out politics in the news because it all seems like lies.
And I think that's why the mainstream media, uh, and, and, and when I say mainstream media, we're, th- we're kind of talking about the, the left-leaning mainstream media right I now. I mean, most right? of it is left. I mean, and but Fox News is like no different. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're all. I, I, now I bunch them all together. Like when Trump, it's kind of interesting. Trump was the guy who shone, shone the, shine the, the light on those cockroaches. You know, like he was like fake news. And when I remember in 2016, when I heard him, I'm like, fuck you. Like, what do you mean fake news? Your Fox news is fake news. Then after I started following Andrew Yang, I, I started noticing it. They would purposely exclude him out of things. Um, write weird pieces about, you know, guilt by association kind of pieces, um, phrase certain questions. And I use this, I use this example with you last time, you know, when have you, did you stop beating your wife or your girlfriend? You know, like they would ask questions like that where, you know, yes. And you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't like, uh, and they have a lot of power in that And, and they have to do that so that they can get the sound sound bites for those five minutes so they can put it on a commercial and, you know, get people to watch. No, true. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's not necessarily that they're like, there's this vast conspiracy theory to get Joe Biden as our president. You know, I'm not necessarily uh. saying that. I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. There is some, some, some of that, but a lot of it is just like, you know, getting, uh, selling ads, you know, like just getting eyes on stuff. And I think, you know, I mean, it's the lowest common denominator works. It's like, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, if it, the more, like, kind of controversial something is. Like, Andrew Yang's been getting all this, like, press about his support from, like, the, you know, right-wingers, like, Richard Spencer, like, that piece of shit. You know, like, um, and this is something where, like, Andrew Yang's like, why do I have to even answer this question? Like, look at me. I'm fucking Asian. You know, like, this is an anathema <laughs> to everything I'm about. He says, he says it, it, it's confusing because I don't usually look like a, I don't look like a prototypical white nationalist. Yeah, and, you know, and Andrew Yang's been the victim of, like, race, uh, mo- racially motivated bullying, you know, but, as a but kid. But I love that, like, the way he answers it with so much class. He does, you know, he doesn't get strident about it. He doesn't engage in like identity politics, you know, and it's, so it's something where he's like, Hey, let's get back to like the issues, you know, like, I mean, you know, yes, this stuff exists and yes, it's shitty, but it's like, Hey, you know, like no one wants to hear about that, you know, right. You could, and I say that not that no one wants to hear about race or things like that, but no one wants to hear about racism against Asians. Like, you know, they don't give a shit about, you know, racism <laughs> against Asians, you know. Um, That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> that is, that is, you know. Um, you know, and I, and I say that because, um, you know, what's interesting is like, you know, as more people I talk to, you know, about, you know, Andrew Yang, um, you know, people, they, they generally, by and large, like the idea of universal basic income. Um the only pushback I've been getting is that, oh, he'll never win. And I'm like, okay, uh, why won't he ever win? And, you know, they kind of him and they ha, you know, but in reality, it's, you know, it's it, the truth is, oh, because he's Asian, you know, like, and it's like, okay. I was guilty of that. Yeah, you know, and, but then it's like, it, I, you know, and, and, and you know what? I, I was guilty of that too. And I just kind of accepted it. But then now, you know, because this podcast, I began to kind of examine like, yeah, why was I so quick to assume that America would never elect an Asian president? Like he's got good ideas, but eh, he's not going to be president because he's Asian. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, what is we're not ready for an Asian president? Apparently not, you know, but I but I but I was asking myself, why? Why are we not ready, you know, to have an Asian president? And so, you know, one answer I came to is the idea that right now in America, uh, the frame, whole framework that we view race is very binary. It's like white and black. And so, um, you know, whether it be media companies, whether it be like activists, 
Like they want to kind of pounce on ideas, people, things that support their agenda. But the Asian man, he he's kind of in neither party. You know, sometimes he's lumped in like with the white folks, you know, when they talk about like, oh, you know, we should have less Asians in these elite institutions, you know, so we get discriminated against, you know. But other times we get, you know, lumped in with, you know, like minorities um, and people of color, you know, because, hey, guess what? You know, I mean, you know, we are minorities, we are minorities. you know, mm-hmm. so. Maybe um, not in California, but we are. True, true. You know, you, you can't tell in uh, <laughs> in Los Angeles, especially. <laughs> like, um, like how we view the fundraiser. <laughs> no, true. Yeah, you know, that, that was a funny point, you know, because most of the people there, like I walked in, I was like, damn, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of mirrors here. A lot of a lot of young Asian men here, you know. And then um, I was like, oh, no, it's very diverse. I see a lot of white folks here. <laughs> no, it's because, you know, Jack, you live in San Gabriel Valley where it's, just, that's Chinatown. That's new Chinatown, man. Um, but... You know, but going back to this issue of race, it's the idea of like, you know, the Asian man, you know, he tastes the frustrations of both white people and people of color, but he gets the entitlements of neither. You know, like no one takes like Asian people complain about racism seriously, you know, uh, but on the same token, like there's that bamboo ceiling, you know, like you'll never see like, you've, like, like uh, Asians make up something like what, 30 or like 40 percent of like uh, the uh, population of like elite universities who train the leaders of tomorrow. And yet we're like less than 5% of like CEOs of like major Fortune 500 companies. And if, if you, I, I, I don't know the number, but you can also look at the, the percentage of Asian Americans who work in the tech industry. I'm sure that's also a pretty high number. No, it is a very high number, you know? And then what's funny though is like sometimes there, there's these news, news articles that like they sum up like, the you know, uh, oh, it's like, you know, it's predominantly a white organization, but it's like, it's actually, it's a plurality with a significant, you know, Asian population. But we just kind of, you know, when it's convenient for people, we get lumped in with kind of white people. Um, and I think, but but this kind of liminal, like, space that Asian peoples, uh, the Asian people kind of inhabit, I think that's what makes us perfect to become president, you know, because we're, we're kind of a little above the fray. Like, we've kind of transcended, like, race a little bit. Terrence you know? 2024. Woo! You know, like, hey, you know, someone up there, start a super PAC, you know. Um, if, if Yang fails, then, you know. <laughs> I, I hope and that, and that's not going to happen. No, I hope not, you know. Um, but, but you know, um, I, I feel like we're almost great referees in this case. No, we are. You know, you look at, say, for example, that whole, like, scandal at Yale about, like, the Halloween costume stuff. Like, what did they do? They hired their first Asian like chancellor, you know, and so it's something like, okay, you know, like because it's not it's a party that neither it's a compromise, you know, it's like, the, you know, the white people want someone white, black people want someone black, you know, but hey, this Asian guy. Uh, all right. And know. we get uh, I feel like with Andrew Yang, he kind of transcends that mm-hmm. not just because he focuses on uh, the uh, the issues. But if you really look at it, um, uh, you, we, we haven't mentioned his his his, uh, his history. How he started this uh, nonprofit called Venture for America. Uh, correct. And uh, for those who don't know Venture for America, it is a uh, nonprofit where he he noticed that there was a brain drain, like you're saying, going into the coasts, and you know all these. Obviously, they go where the money is. I mean, you don't you can't blame them. They go where the money is, and the money is in Wall Street, and the money is in tech. That's where they're going, and he's seeing there's a huge void in the center of the in of the country, the, the part of the country my friend wants to get rid of, uh, and uh, you know he he's trying to place people from universities into these startups in St. Louis, in Cleveland, 
in Detroit. I mean, you can't get more American than those cities, you know? And, like, you can tell that he's not self-interested. He's not trying to help his own, just his own people. He's trying to help people in general. He's trying to help this country because he feels like he's an American first. He has kids growing up in this country, and he wants his kids to grow up in a great country that America was and still is. I, I, I would still argue America is still a great country. No, I mean, you know, I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, it's not a perfect country, but you know, where else you want to live? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's. It, I think it's the best we got. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, I agree. I think it's something where, you know, we got to focus on. You know, what uh, kind of unites us in some ways, and that's why I like his candidacy. You know, like UBI is not like an Asian person's issue. It's not a white person's issue. It's not a black person's issue. You know, it's it's an issue for all Americans. You know, it's going to benefit everyone equally, and so. And, and, and the mainstream media keeps trying to pull it towards a, a racial issue sometimes. Yeah, they do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I understand, like, why certain groups have, like, grievances, you know, and I think those grievances are valid and they should be heard. But on the same token, you know, uh, let's live, you know, living in reality, uh, you know, there's problems that affect everyone and so why don't we just get those off the table first and then we can talk about like specific groups you know that that's kind of my philosophy on it mm-hmm. you know just because you know i used to be quite the idealist and then you know as i live in this reality more and more it's like okay it's i just get disillusioned you know and so it's easy it's easy you know like uh you know the test of reality is very difficult and also I'll say this you know uh, as much as as much as we can pick apart the par- problems with america you know, you visit other countries, especially like, you know, third world countries, and you recognize how good we have it here. You know, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. When I was in Kenya, like most people's bathrooms in America are bigger than like the houses they would live in. And so it's something like, I mean, materialism isn't like the source of like all meaning and happiness in life. But like, you know, fuck, I don't want to live in like a bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, and so it's something where, you know, we are better off than the vast majority. I mean, just look at healthcare in general. I mean, even how fucked up our healthcare issue, our healthcare industry is. There are people in Kenya who have to walk miles before they can get to a hospital. No, that's very true. And so it's something where it's like, you know, we we let's turn backward a little bit, have some gratitude for you know where we are, and you know, and then in that lens, kind of see how best can we kind of preserve what what works and what's doing well, uh, and kind of move forward. And so, um, and that's very kind of nuanced. So you know, the thing is like. I'm not saying that these other issues aren't important and shouldn't be, you know, uh, attention shouldn't be paid on them. But that's why I like the idea of universal basic income because it's just letting the market then kind of take over. Because, you know, with $1,000 a month, you know, if if my big issue is like, what, free college or whatever, hey, 1000 bucks a month kind of helps me pursue an education. And it doesn't necessarily have to be college. It could be vocational school, you know? Like, or it could be Skillshare. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. It could be online, you know? Like, I learned, you know, I make websites for a living, and I learned through online videos, you know? Like, I didn't go to school for that. Yeah, so, so Skillshare, let us know if you want us uh, to promote more. <laughs> Use the coupon code. Todd, <laughs> <laughs> just tell them. <laughs> oh. But it, but it's something where like yeah and if you, if you care really about uh like healthcare hey extra thousand dollars a month can kind of help you you know address like healthcare concerns and so it's something where like whatever your your pet issue is like universal basic income can kind of help you on that so you know that's why I say like at the end of the day one of our strengths in this country is diversity so I think our policies should reflect the diversity and you know I think when you say market. Um, 
a lot of the left I don't want I don't want to keep saying left, but a lot of uh, one side or you know would 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 almost like ah that's capitalism capitalism is evil, um, so I don't want to say I I feel like we should say let let people decide, because that's what the market is the market is made of people and how better way for it to for for things to work out than putting money in hands of people and they get to choose what they want to do with that money, and and whatever they choose, that's you're gonna see those industries flourish, and you're gonna say, "All right, these this is where the money's going. This is where people what people want out of out out of the the, the economy, out of the world." You know? No, and I, I love that idea. You know, because I think um, I mean I read this. Uh, I was reading this book about like Google searches. And so what's interesting is like uh, they're talking about the election and like, you know, the polls, Hillary Clinton, 90, New York Times had her at what, 95% going to win, you know, and, you know, it's like, oh, what the fuck happened, you know, but people who were studying like search, um, you know, data, uh, you know, one of the, the um, Google trends, oh yeah, Google trends, but it's like one of those things where if people uh, search for Trump Clinton uh, debates, they're most likely going to vote for Trump. If people who search for Clinton Trump debates would most likely vote for Clinton. And so just looking at the search data, you know, it mapped perfectly over the electoral data, Ooh, you know, wow. way better than the polling. Wow. And it's because at the end of the day, you know, if someone's asking you, it's all this like pressure. Oh, I can't like Trump. Oh, so I'm just going to lie a little bit, you know, but a Google search, what, you know, you're like, hey, I want the results I want, you know? So, I mean, there's some really dark stuff in there. Like, for example, like, I think like something like uh, the, the day Obama won the election, uh, there was a spike in like uh, his name and like the N word and things like that. Ah, uh, and like even like this. The I want to see a map of that. No, <laughs> you know, what's interesting? A search of like the N word. Uh, it maps perfectly with the, the states that voted for Trump. So, oh, man. I mean, it, it's very unfortunate, you know. And but that's something. Though I mean, I just bring that point up because it's something where. Like at the end of the day, how people spend their money, how people use Google, you know, like that's what they're actually feeling and wanting and doing. You know, um, I think at the uh, f fundraiser, I think uh, Andrew Yang brings up a really good point. I don't know if you caught that, how polls are done. Oh, yeah. It's done through like calling landlines. Calling like landlines. I mean, and who the hell fucking picks up their landline? Even people who have landlines don't pick up their landlines anymore. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And who has time to like bullshit with the pollster for like a few minutes? You know, like I'm working, you know, so you say hello first and there's nobody saying anything. You click, you know, there you, you go. hang up. There you go. And so it's something where, you know, that's why I think these polls are reflecting more so like the baby boomer generation. And I think that's why one thing that kind of surprised me, but didn't surprise me uh, at the fundraiser is there's a lot of ageism, like a lot of like anti-old people rhetoric <laughs> that I was hearing. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think it just speaks about like kind of the frustration that, you know, like their way of looking at the world, their values are just kind of incongruent with this newer generation, you know, because this newer generation, you know, I mean, by and large, I think we're less ideologues and more so like, okay, what's reality? It depends though. It yeah. depends on where you're getting all that information to. How so? I mean, uh, overwhelmingly, if you use Instagram, mm. there's a lot of, or even Facebook. Uh, I, maybe Facebook's not a good example because I don't think that's that that generation is moving up in age too. But there's a lot of like you know anti-cop kind of rhetoric on those there things. There is, there is, and I think it distorts your view. You think like all cops are bad and stuff like that. I mean, I feel like you know we have to take the truth of it. Like you don't just look at one thing. 
You know, it used to be like, oh, don't trust anything on the internet. But now, if you see it on Instagram, people repost it like they trust it. Like they, uh, that's that's true because I saw it on the internet. So, Jack, uh, in honor of Father's Day, and you're a father, <laughs> <laughs> and in honor of Andrew Yang, and this podcast, you, uh, I see you brought this uh, this Kavalon here. Uh, Want to tell us a little bit about it? All right. So this, I've been saving for a special occasion, and I okay. felt like. What better occasion than to spend in this uh, to to have it with my buddy Terrence? And you know we had our whiskey tastings ourselves. <laughs> that's true. That's that's one of our pastimes. And this is a uh, a Taiwanese um, uh, award winning uh, whiskey. And if I can even open it right now, well, you know both uh, you, Andrew Yang, and this whiskey are Taiwanese. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, see, that took forever. So, Cavalan. All right. It comes in a really nice case. Okay. You know, I've had some Cavalan before, but uh, this one, uh, the bottle looks different. Um, yeah, this is a different one. The one you had was the the 2016, I believe. Uh, it won the 2016 award for best whiskey. Okay. And this is an, another one. Okay, what 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 what's special about this one? You know what? I had I got this so long ago. I don't remember except for the fact that I was there and I just wanted to buy everything over there. <laughs> and I now I can't open it because uh, you know I'm like trying to get it open too quickly because we're running out of time. <laughs> what if you twist it? It doesn't twist. It, it's uh, it's more of a pull. I see. That's the thing. All right, so I'm gonna do this. Well, technical difficulties. Stay with us. I know. So here, yeah, because you know what's interesting about the the Cavalon that I tried uh, with you uh, was that the fl uh, the flavor profile was very different than any other Scotch I've had or, or single malt whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, it was like spicy. Yeah, it uh, was very spicy. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, like much more. Th I mean, because don't get me wrong, spice is one of the flavor notes for Scotch whiskey, but. Uh, this one was like on another level. And I, I remember you said it was a very Taiwanese feeling because it's like the Taiwanese food is like, not that Taiwanese food is spicy, but it's like very like strong. No, that's true. You know why I said it reminded me of uh, Taiwan is a friend of mine, um, like his mom uh, is part like uh, Aborigine. And so she owns this kind of like a uh, plot of land in the mountains of Taiwan. And like one of uh, the neighbors uh, actually, um, grows his own coffee. And so, you know, my buddy, he knows I'm like super into coffee. And so I ended up uh, trying some of it and it had a very similar flavor profile as uh, the Cavalon I tried, which made me think that perhaps uh, it's tied to the kind of land, uh, the soil uh, in, in Taiwan. Well, um, uh, you know, the funny thing you say that coffee, but uh, the people who make the coffee there, I think it's Mr. Brown, same people who make this, Oh, okay. Yep, yep, oh, yep. the same owner. Same owner. Okay. Well, hey, cheers to that guy. All right, Todd, tell him. Uh, to a successful first episode. <laughs>